Would you join me in a word of prayer? Look out as we come to your word this morning, I pray that it would be powerfully experienced. Just as we have experienced you in our time of music and sensed your presence, we have um, joined our voices with those of Israel, the past, that cried out, come, come, Emmanuel. And Lord, we are grateful that we have experienced the coming of Emmanuel. And we long for him, for the world. Again, Lord, meet us at this time, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. As the number of people who have never experienced church continues to grow, there are a number of things about church and the Bible that are being lost from our common knowledge. All right, as more and more people uh, distance themselves from the church and have really no experience at all, uh, no history with attending church or the scriptures, we lose uh, some things that used to be part of our common knowledge as a culture. For instance, e even the word amen. On an actual question and answer thread, someone wrote this. Why is it amen and not a women? Uh, and the person was absolutely serious. Uh, one uh, tongue-in-cheek answer was, because in church they sing hymns, not hers. <laughs> Chiching. I love that one. <laughs> I've practiced this so many times. I said, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh, don't laugh, you know? Oh, by the way, biblically, men make the best coffee. It says so in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> Just send him to B-Yo at centerpointroseville. All right. So one person suggested uh, that, okay, well, let's make it this. Instead of amen, how about a gender-neutral person? Um, I was really pleased, however, that one person just cut through all of this and said, people, you, you got to understand, it's a Hebrew word. It comes from the Hebrew long before English was ever spoken. This word was. And it has nothing to do with gender. This morning, we find Jesus using that word, amen, but he does so two times, and he does it as preface to what he's saying, not at the end of it. And when he does that, it lends great significance and emphasis to what he's about to say. I want to look at that this morning as we continue our series in the book of John. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, where Jesus has just healed a paralytic man on the Sabbath, which angers the Jewish leaders. So if you would open up your Bible app to John 5, or open up your Bible to John 5, or follow along on the screen, where John writes this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the Jewish leaders bring two charges to Jesus. The first charge is that he is doing these things, healing on the Sabbath. The second charge is far more serious, far more grievous in their eyes, and it carries an even more stern uh, punishment to it, capital punishment, really, and that is that Jesus is making himself equal with God. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not just persecute him, to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. For the next um, number of verses, Jesus will defend himself then to them. And as he does so, he has uh, three statements in here that begin with, Amen, Amen. The first one is in verse 19. We read this, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth. Now, does that look like amen to you? Nope, doesn't, does it? Because our translators moved from translating to interpreting. Uh, this is the NIV Bible, which is a Bible that uh, we uh, typically use here on Sunday morning. Um, and the translators stopped translating at this point and started interpreting. In Greek, What it reads is, Jesus, uh, translating directly from the Greek, it reads this, Jesus gave them this answer, amen, amen, or in Hebrew, amen, amen, or in Aramaic, amen, amen. Jesus begins his statement, in fact, he has three of them that he makes with these words, amen, amen, or in Hebrew, amen, amen. So what, what does it mean once, let alone twice? What does amen really mean? Uh, a father had just finished giving the blessing on the food, and the family said, uh, he said, in Jesus' name, and all the family said, amen. And the youngest of the family said, what, what does amen mean? And before the parents could answer, uh, the oldest brother said, it means send, stupid. <laughs> Not quite. Literally, what it means is so be it. So be it. It's a Hebrew word. It means so be it. So when we say amen at the end of a prayer, what we're saying is, so be it. Let it be this. We affirm this. When we say amen to something or to someone, uh, what we're saying is we affirm that truth. So be it. May that truth, may that statement, which you have said, may that live out. So be it. So what does it mean when Jesus says amen, amen? It means that it is and I know it to be so. It is saying not only is this truth, this is the truth that I know. This is the truth of truths, is another way of putting that when Jesus says it. This is truth on a God level. Not only is this true, but I know it to be so personally. Amen, amen. It is true, and I know it to be true. So when Jesus is saying that, what he's saying is, I am affirming this truth in myself and by myself. This is God's truth, amen, amen. And he has three of those amen, amen statements. Let's look at the first one, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Amen, amen, the son can do nothing by himself. 
He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so the first amen, amen truth that Jesus is professing here is that the Son is co-equal with the Father. The Son is co-equal with the Father. When the Jewish leaders charged him with saying that he's co-equal with God, they were actually right. They were actually right. He is co-equal with with the Father. That's the first amen, amen statement that Jesus makes. The second um, comes in um, uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Let's look at that one. The second amen, amen, is whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. They have crossed over from death to life. Right? So the second amen, amen that Jesus makes is that the Son is the source of eternal life. The Son is the source of eternal life. Amen, amen. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The third, amen, amen. Verse 25. Amen, amen. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he's the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Third, amen, amen. The third truth that Jesus affirms and confesses is that the Son judges us on our faith. Now, sometime later in the gospel, we're going to look at what does it mean that Jesus is judge. We're going to look at uh, what that means, how he judges, uh, what's involved with that. Um, But for right now, I want us to focus on the fact that we will be judged on our faith. Now, I want to also clear up something that we might misunderstand. It's in these words that Jesus speaks here. He said, those who have done good will rise to live. Now, lest we misunderstand this and think that if you're good enough, you'll go to heaven. That's what majority of people believe. If they believe in heaven, they believe the way to get to heaven is to be good enough. Well, Jesus had just said to us, amen, amen, the Son is the source of life right? So when Jesus says those who have done good, the good that is measured is our faith. The good that is measured is our faith. What does it mean to be good enough to get to heaven? It means that you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the ultimate good a person can have. That's the bar. That's the bar. It's not a good in yourself. It's not a good that you've done. It's a good that has been given you. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ gave us all his righteousness and took from us all our sins. And so the good that we are measured by is not the good we've done. 
It's the good that Jesus is and has done himself. That's how Jesus judges us. So if you put these three truths together, Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is co-equal with God. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus judges us on whether or not we believe. That, that makes Christianity exclusive. That makes Christianity exclusive. That means that all the other religions fall short. And they are not equal with Christianity. Right? They are not equal with Christianity. And that got me thinking, and this is sort of a sidebar, but an important one. A lot of people struggle with that statement. But if you take Jesus' statements, I am co-equal with God. I'm God in the flesh. I am the source of life. And I judge on whether or not you believe. This is not something then that the church has made up. This is something God has said to us. And that got me thinking, what keeps Christians from spiritual arrogance? Right? What, what keeps us from being arrogant? I mean, think about it. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and you've invited him into your heart, you got right the one most important thing in life. You got that right. Now, you may have gotten a lot of things wrong in life. Maybe you still have your pet rock. Maybe you thought new Coke was good. Maybe you're still trying to read your nook while you listen to your Zune. Or maybe you still think Google Glass won't affect your eyesight. There are a lot of things you might have gotten wrong in life. But if you believe in Jesus, you got the one most important thing in life right. You got that right. So what keeps us from being a little bit arrogant? What keeps us from saying to um, other people of faith, you are so wrong. <laughs> I'm right. What keeps us from that kind of attitude? And let me just very quickly share with you, I think there are three things that every Christian needs to understand and know along with faith. And that is that first and foremost, our sins cost Jesus' life. How can you be arrogant about that? Our sins cost Jesus his life. The scriptures are, are so clear on that. Paul wrote he was delivered over to death for whose sins? Our sins. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.3. Paul says, I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as what? What? First. First importance. This is the first thing I want you to know, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins. The first thing Paul wants us to know is that we have been sinned, uh, sinful and it cost Christ his life. We know our sins cost Jesus his life. We know we haven't earned what Jesus has given us. And we so, so, so want to. 
uh, I want to be able to say that there was something in me that God liked. I want him to look at me and say, oh, Jim, you know, I just love that about you, and that's why I saved you. I want, I want to have earned just a little part of it, okay? I want to have said, I worked to get to this point, and that's why God saved me. I want to be able to say there was something good in me, right? And the answer is no. Ephesians 2.8 says it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, not by anything we could have done so that no one can boast. This was all God's doing. Yeah, but, but I looked for God. I was a God seeker. And even that is not true. We didn't seek God. He sought us. Prior to becoming a Christian, I would have said I was, I was seeking God. I, I was exploring. I was questioning. I was looking. I was asking people things. I was reading I read about other religions. I read parts of the Quran. I read the Tao. I read parts of the Bible. I was trying to find God. And I would have said I was seeking him out until I became a Christian. And once I became a Christian, I realized that God was the one who had sought me out, that he had been relentlessly pursuing me throughout my life. And in those darkest times when any thought of God seemed so far away, God was still coming after me. Why did I think about God? Because God was thinking about me first. Why did I seek God? Because God was seeking me first. Why did I cry out to him that night? Because God had called out to me. We didn't even seek God. Paul says that there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So when we say that Jesus Christ is God, when we say that he is the source to life, and later on John, uh, in John 14, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's very clear. He makes no question which way to go. I'm the way. When we claim that Jesus is the source of eternal life, and when we say that Jesus will judge us on our faith alone, what keeps us from being arrogant is the fact that we didn't seek God. We haven't earned what Jesus has given to us, and our sins are what cost him his life. I remember very distinctly coming out, uh, going to one of my religious studies classes at Cal State Fullerton. Most of the uh, religious studies programs uh, had a significant number of, of rabbis teaching. Um, and I remember I was, I was going into this one class as uh, a guy was coming out, and he was a Christian. He was one of those obnoxious Christians, you know, the kind you just want to kind of distance yourself from. And he knew I was a believer, and he came up to me and said, man, I just gave the gospel to Rabbi Stevens. I just gave it to him flat out, man. If he doesn't turn, he burns. <laughs> Honestly, this is what this guy said to me. 
And I looked at him in shock. I felt more for this rabbi than I did for a brother in Jesus. I wanted to say to him, do you know you put Christ to death? You have done nothing to earn what you've been giving. How can you say those things? I wanted to say, fall on your knees before God and give thanks to what he's given you and pray and fast and love the rabbi for you have sinned against him and you have sinned against me and you have sinned against God. I didn't say that because I didn't have the guts. It was embarrassing. I just walked away kind of nodding my head, thinking, I don't know what to say. I wish I could go back. But I vowed at that point never to be like that. I have no problem saying and claiming and affirming what Jesus Christ has said. In fact, I'm going to suggest this morning we have our own amen, amen. In affirmation and response to what Jesus said. And these are our own amen, amen truths. Amen, amen. It is and I know it to be true. Without apology or compromise, Jesus is God in the flesh. That is what Jesus is asking us can you amen, amen this? Can you say, it is, and I know it to be true personally, without apology or without compromise, Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen, amen. It is, and I know it to be true without apology or compromise. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Can you affirm that? Without apology or compromise, Amen, amen. And third, it is, and I know it to be true, amen, amen, with all humility and in all gratitude, I know I did not deserve it, I did not earn it, and I did not seek God, but I was found by him. Amen, amen. Let's pray. We are in awe of what you have done for us. As we sing the songs of Advent, as we join with all Israel of the past that long for the coming of a Messiah, we have been graced to know he has come and to worship him. All our longings and all our hope is in him. And so, Lord, we say as a church and we say as a people and we say individually, amen, amen, I believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Amen, amen, I believe without compromise and without apology that the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, 
It is, and I know it to be true, with all humility and all gratitude that he has saved me. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. And I did not seek what I've been given. But it has come from him. Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen.